Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and there's a discount code coming right up. If you're in the market for some new wheels, then look no further than We Are One Composites. These guys are making incredibly high quality wheels out in Kamloops in Canada. I've been running their wheels for over three years now and they've had a really hard life with absolutely zero issues. Not only are they top quality and they look amazing, but the engineers have managed to find a great balance of stiffness and compliance so that the wheels hold a line, but they don't ping off every little obstacle on the trail, which can make some carbon wheels feel punishing and a little scary to ride. Not so with We Are One. Alongside a full range of wheels, We Are One have just launched their first complete bike. It's called the Arrival and is a 150mm 29er Enduro weapon. And you can tell just from looking that We Are One have put their usual level of attention to detail into making sure this thing is perfect. There's some lovely design touches and the finish is next level, just like it is with the wheels. Head over to weareonecomposites.com now and give it a look. Because of the crazy demand for bike stuff in general, and particularly for We Are One's wheels, we can't offer a discount on complete wheel sets right now. But the team at We Are One really wanted to do something for downtime listeners, so they are offering you 15% off rims only during the month of August. All you need to do is to use the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Head there now and check out the entire range. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. After a lot of hard work by the team, we've got a print date scheduled for the first Downtime EP. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to see this thing in the flesh. If you want to be in with a chance of getting one of the limited edition issues at a special early bird price, then you've got literally a couple of days now to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address. We'll be launching those early bird sales to everyone on the list really soon. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. Also, please head to Facebook and Instagram and give me a follow there where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's a great place to keep up to date with what we're doing and it's always great to hear from you in the comments and the messages there. All right, this weekend saw world champs in Val di Sole in Italy. It was an incredible race. There's lots to talk about. And as always, I'm joined by Elliot Jackson and Nico Malali to talk all about it. So without further ado, here's Elliot and Nico. All right, everyone, welcome back to another post-race show. This time it's 2021 world champs from Val di Sole, an incredible race. Uh, an incredible weekend. I still feel pretty excited about it, and it's Tuesday. Um, Elliot, you were in commentary uh, for your first ever World Champs and your second ever race. Um, it, it feels like you had a lot of fun, but you you got to commentate on a very good friend of yours winning a gold medal at the age of 39. Um, <laughs> and I can't really hold off talking about that result until we get to that part of the show. How, how was that as an experience for you? Oh, man. I. Uh... Like, I was so flustered and nervous the whole week. I don't know why, but I felt like that was the first week that I was, it was like I was like riding bad. Like I did a bunch of other presenting stuff, some stuff for the pre-show and um, like a YouTube explainer thing. And it was taking me like a million takes. I felt like my interview questions weren't very good. And so it felt like, 
it felt like world champs, like I was riding or whatever, you know? So I was like, man, practice didn't go very well and I'm nervous for it. So I kind of, um, I just really like over-prepared, uh, and like did a bunch of research, talked to, talked to a bunch of the riders, walked the track a bunch of times and, um, yeah, I got in the booth and it felt really good. Like I did the pre-show, we do the record the pre-show and, um, yeah, that went really well. And kind of just felt like one of those moments where I had done the work. And so like the, the commentary was fun. I felt like Rob and I had like a lot of fun with it. The feed was not like Red Bull feed. So like at the beginning, they would just show like one dude and then they would cut away from it, show another dude. You had no idea who it was. Like it wasn't the feed wasn't going by like start order and like where they thought they were going to start. There were no names on the screen. So we kind of had to like deal with this like feed that wasn't, you know, we're spoiled by the Red Bull feed, but yeah, it, it just like felt like it started to flow and, you know, really awesome. And when Greg came down, um, you know, like Coulange had this insane run, um, especially at the bottom. And he's been doing that like Maribor, he did that as well. And so like Greg came down and he was going so fast and the whole week he had this huge smile on his face. Like he normally isn't really like that uh, at the beginning of the week. Normally he's, he's kind of puzzling a bit to start. And uh, first day of practice, he was just like riding so well. Everyone that was on the track was just talking about how fast he was going and he went into first and I was like, okay, like we've seen this before, right? Like there's a couple more people and Loris was riding so good. And I was like, ah, okay. And then he was up and then like Greg pulled back time at the bottom. Um, and I was like, okay, take that one off. But, but Tebow, you know, like it would be classic if Tebow beat Greg and he was down. And as soon as he was down, like before, um, before he even fell, like, I was like, oh, he has it. Like he just won, he just won worlds. And I was like, it was just crazy. It was like, so cool to see. Um, yeah. Like you're saying, like one of my really good friends and I was hanging out with his girlfriend, Sarah every night. And like, we were going out to dinner and just like, they're just such good people. And, um, it was great. Like great after party, still a bit dusty, I think. Um, <laughs> But uh, I was, I don't know if anyone else, maybe like people from the UK know it, but that song that Rob was singing, mana, 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 mana. Uh, it's from, it's like, from the Muppets, I think. Yeah. yeah it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And apparently it's like a, <laughs> he was looking at me with this face that was like, come on. Like his eyes were like all wide. I was like, I can't, I have, I, I think you're making this up on the spot. But, <laughs> yeah. I thought um, that caught you out a little bit. You weren't quite yeah. quiet. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a really cool week. Like it felt, it was the first time I had been to world champs since I raced it. Um, and it was just a great, great, like all around week. Nice. So you turned up and you felt like you were racing world champs. Nika, you turned up and you felt like you'd already uh, raced world champs. I think you'd had a a pretty huge crash a couple of weeks before and were, were still kind of getting back to, well, not even feeling normal. Right. Yeah, I, I think last time we were on the show, I was feeling pretty rough. I was uh, that was the Tuesday after Maribor, and man, it's always two days after a big crash. You feel feel pretty bad, 
but um yeah i was glad i was able to get to race i wasn't sure uh, a few days after i had that crash if i was going to be ready or not but um i was the only guy on the team aaron is still injured and seth i guess something with the canadian cycling didn't fill the roster so i was the i was the only guy for our squad and um i definitely wanted to go out there and, and represent the best i could so um yeah i did everything i could to try to get my body back and feeling better but man val de soul is like even if you come in there feeling a hundred percent you're gonna have a hard time on that track it's just it's the roughest one on the circuit and it it kind of never lets up so um yeah i definitely improved every day and and um tried to like limit my runs and manage my energy there's a lot of practice at worlds and and like we said that track's so brutal so um by sunday i i kind of felt the best i had all week and i felt like i did the best i could with with what i had to work with but um not a great result i finished 48th and just lost a bunch of time at the bottom um i think a lot of guys deal with arm pump on that track and when you come in with an injury and you kind of that starts to happen it, it tightens up even worse so um anyway i'm i'm proud of myself for getting out there and, and giving it my best even though it wasn't uh everything i'd hoped for coming into a season but um cool race and like kelly had said what a, what a legend greg <laughs> Minar. he was he was riding so fast like uh, a lot of times at Worlds, we have so much practice that you, you stop on the track and you have time to figure out lines a little more and, and really pick things apart more than a normal race. And every time Greg came through, he was just carrying so much speed and riding super committed. And he didn't seem like he was really messing around with stuff that much either. Um, definitely his bike set up like normal. He's always doing that. But on track, he seemed like he was just plowing through and, and not stopping everywhere and looking at everything. So... Yeah, I, I, you could tell in practice just being on course that that Greg had the the shot to do it and had the speed and man, what a cool what a cool race and what an inspiration. Yeah, definitely, it's a it's a hell of a story. Well, you mentioned the track. Tell us a little bit about it from a, from a, a fan perspective. It looked pretty different from previous Valdezels. It looked like it had quite a different feel to it. Yeah, it um they did a bunch of work on it and it actually followed the same route as we had raced in years past. They just moved the line to the side here or there and did a lot of excavation on it, actually. That track's always been like a very natural, rough track. It's steep, but it's not the steepest on the circuit. And it has a consistent gradient, doesn't really let up anywhere, and just has a brutal mixture of roots and rocks and normally some pretty soft dirt as well that's kind of covering that stuff up. Um, but this year, I think the past two years we raced there, we had issues with the rain. Um, and that track is almost unrideable in the rain. Like the two World Cups in 18 and 19, it rained on quality day and like nobody could even make it down the track. So I think they wanted to do some stuff to it to this year to make it more weatherproof. And by getting rid of some of the topsoil and, and getting rid of some of the, the old polished roots and, and putting some rocks in, um, they did an awesome job of keeping it rough and keeping line choice and like nobody thought the track was smooth by any means, but they made it a lot more consistent through the weekend. It didn't blow out as much and it also would have been rideable in, in wet weather. Um, a lot of those rocks are like kind of sandpaper feel. So they have, they have some grip to them, um, where it's like the, the topsoil and the roots was like, so so difficult to ride that whenever it was wet 
Um, but yeah, the track is just, it's pretty long and it gets kind of steeper as it goes and rougher as well. And you get, you start to get tired halfway through and then it, it really gets even faster and steeper and rougher. And it's, it's really hard to be precise with braking and like you want to let off the brakes in those holes and brake super hard and precise in one spot. And it's, it's tough to do that as a racer when you're smoked and your hands feel like they're going to fall off to let off the brakes and go even faster into this section. And, um, that's what the dudes at the top were able to just execute so well. Um, so yeah, it's, a it's a rough track, but, uh, it was cool this year that they did those, those modifications to it. Yeah. What was the, what was the feedback from the riders that you spoke to Elliot when you were out on, uh, on the track walking it? Cause I, I get the impression you walked it a fair few times over the weekend. Yeah. I think, um, I think it was kind of the same, right? Like there was, you heard a couple people talking about, same with what Nico said, uh, where they did add a couple of berms, I guess. And like, I wouldn't call them, but like bike park's not the right word, but like kind of more man-made-ish. And um, to me, it felt like the holes were, ended up getting bigger. Like a lot of the time, Battle Soul was just like, really really rough and this year it felt like you had these huge holes so it wasn't just like kind of holding on arm pump it was just like your chest going to the bar um in a lot of places and uh it it was just insane like i think there's so many world cup tracks where if you are like a a pretty good rider like you ride down them um there's nothing like really too difficult to just ride but Valdezol is like there's stuff like as soon as you you can ride it, but as soon as you start to pick up speed, it's just insane. Where I remember walking with Luca, and I was like, "Cool, you're jumping off of here," and then like, "Where do you land?" He's like, "Yeah, there's like rocks right there. You kind of land them." And I was like, "Yeah, but like it's rocks. <laughs> there's no they're jagged rocks. Like, and and then you're like landing like inch perfect or whatever. And I think that's probably one of the most impressive things." Uh, when you walk the track and you hear the riders talking about like, yeah, I want to be in between these two routes and it's like two tire widths wide. Um, and I think Valdezol is like not a place that you think of as a precision track, but it's kind of like this, uh, it's kind of like you have the spaces where you don't care and you can be all over the place. And then it like funnels down to where you're like, oh, I want to be inch perfect here. And then like you, it opens back up and you'll have a section where you let the bike be loose and whatever. Um, and as when you're watching, you can't really tell those sections or like when the riders are inch perfect, but it's super cool to see, like, if you watch some of those runs back, like, and you really look at the tires, um, yeah, they're like being inch perfect in a lot of places. And, uh, it's pretty amazing. Like it really, I think Battle more than anywhere shows like how crazy good, like all the people that ride it are and like how how good like downhill racers at the world cups are for sure definitely nico talk to us a bit about bike setup because there's a, i guess there's a couple of different things here one you've got to get it working for you you know suspension wise but also the bike is taking a hell of a battering on this track are you doing anything to the bike or to the setup to try and avoid mechanicals like punches or anything like that 
I was pretty pretty fortunate. I didn't really have any issues with punctures or rims, but a lot of guys were. I saw a lot of flat tires, um, a lot of tires off the rim, a lot of rims exploded. Um, I definitely, personally, I ran inserts front and rear. I think that maybe helps a little bit to protect that. Um, and then setup wise, it's a, it's a tough one because there's those big compressions, like Elliot was saying, the, the new sections had the big holes that were just like a, a, just a lot of force through your body. And then the old sections of the track were violently harsh. So you want to set your bike up stiff to take those compressions. But then when you go through like the square edge, harsh stuff, it just feels so rough. Um, one thing that I did was I ran my fork a little bit softer with uh, more volume spacers in it. And then I, I slid my stanchions through so that my bar was taller. So my ride height was kind of in a similar spot, but I had a softer fork. And I felt like that worked well on that track because it's kind of steep. But my, uh, my fork was able to kind of take away some of that harshness that way. So um, that worked well. And then you saw a lot of guys doing things for pedal kick. Like the amount of riders that were using O-Chain was a lot. I used it and I normally use it on the six degree setting. And I put it to the nine degree setting for this track and didn't notice really any downside. Like it felt the same when I was pedaling or coming out of the start or anything, but it definitely felt smoother on the track. Um, it was cool cause O chain's an Italian company and the, the guy who owns it was there and able to like do the swap for me. And he was like a super Italian guy that loved the worlds were in Italy and he had his special part that was on like half the bikes out there. <laughs> so that was pretty sweet. Um, and then some guys like they, it's, it connects to a direct mount chain ring. It is a direct mount chain ring. So it attaches that way and um like so shimano doesn't have one so theirs is a like 104 bolt um regular chain ring so guys that were on shimano i saw were using a neutral gear so they had like two cogs taken out of their cassette with a spacer so they could shift down to that and then the chain would just be free there would be no tensioning as the bike would go through the travel and it would kind of give that chainless feel um, as they were going down the track. So I think, yeah, Valdesol is one where like you come out of the start, you take a few pedals and if you don't make any mistakes, you don't really pedal until you get to the finish area. Like if you carry every, all of your speed really well, there's no really need to pedal. So you can come out, <laughs> drop into a neutral gear like that and, um, and just run it all the way to the bottom. A bit higher risk though, I guess, isn't it? Cause you don't, you've got no indicator to tell you that you're in that neutral gear or to remind you that you're in that neutral gear when you go to, to push on the pedals. So maybe a higher risk approach, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I think in downhill, like everything is so calculated and planned. Like I visualize my race run so many times and other riders I'm sure do the same. That uh, You know, on a normal track where you're going to change gear. So if you're, it's world champs, like, you want to plan for the best outcome. You don't want to be, well, if I mess up, then I'll have this out. Like you're kind of all in on world champs. So you go to neutral gear and you know, I'm going to leave it in there until I get to the bottom and then I'm going to shift out of it. Um, I don't think it's something that you'd really forget to do. It would just be that if you made a mistake and then you had to take a pedal kick or something, you would have to remember and 
if if it didn't go to plan, I guess. Yeah, fair play. Elliot, were you going to say something? Yeah, 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 for sure. No, I, I just was going to echo what Nico said about the new trigger. I thought that that was super cool. Um, and like some of the riders that were running it, just like having to go to different shock tunes because of how different it was. Um, and it is like so strange when I saw it, uh, you know, to imagine coming out of the start gate, shifting into neutral and then just like bloody cruise in there. Um, <laughs> but I can imagine it would be, uh, it would feel really good. I would, I would love to try that. Uh, and then also to echo what Nico was saying, like a lot of the riders that I was talking to, it seemed like more of a body position, um, setup kind of thing than like, you know, how do I get traction kind of track? So you saw like Greg went to a shorter stem, um, because he was like trying to get further, be like able to get his body weight further back. And that's like, you know, only Greg's going to go to a shorter stem. But you hear a lot of riders like putting a couple spacers under their stem or, you know, putting their forks through or whatever it is. So it's definitely, um, I think a lot of the time we like think of bike setup as like only the bike, but it's that, but also you're trying to, if your if your body position is like way off, then like the bike's also not going to work. So that was quite a late change, wasn't it? Five mil short of stem was quite a late shift. It wasn't something he did early on in the weekend. Is that right? Yeah, I think he did it like after, I think he did it after qualifying, but I don't yeah. know if he did it after, after practice on Saturday or not. I don't remember. Interesting. It's quite a change. Five mil off stem length. I've never even thought of doing that. <laughs> Fair play. It clearly worked. <laughs> Nico, do you have any extra support from the US Federation when you're there, like people on track doing line spotting, that sort of stuff, or or do you just use your infrastructure that you normally have with Intense? We definitely have um, have people from the Federation there that are available to help. Um, we didn't really have anybody on track doing spotting, but we had a few mechanics and support crew that kind of goes between cross country and downhill. And they're more for the riders who don't have a trade team, juniors or some of the elite guys that aren't, uh, don't have support already there. Um, they have things with the Federation that you can sign up if you're selected for Worlds to just show up and they pick you up from the airport. They have the accommodation for USA Cycling that you can stay at. Um, so they kind of provide like the full week of support for you and as a team. But for, for me, I've always been on a trade team. I've been lucky enough to be on some awesome teams and it just makes more sense to stay with the people you know and kind of treat it like a World Cup and stick to what you're used to. Um, USA Cycling definitely gives a good level of support out there. They have a lot of staff and they're trying to help as much as they can the people who need it. But I wouldn't say that it's on like a Team France level. It seems uh. like they're on like the next level with all of that stuff. And I don't know any federations who are maybe Swiss cross country is on that level, but, um, no, the, the French guys definitely have a lot of people on track and they, uh, they require the riders to stay in the hotel with the team and they really treat it like, uh, I don't know, like a Olympic basketball team of French downhill riders. Yeah. Fair play. It's pretty, uh, pretty incredible support. Elliot. 
Um, that is one of the, uh, what is the right word? Weird, um, different things about world champs. Like if you, I was talking to, uh, Eleanor for Farina's team manager and he was just saying that they, uh, the Italian team, like, again, like made her stay with them, but it, their like food was like super bad. So she wasn't like able to get like proper food. And, um, I think they like put a lot of pressure on her because, you know, she had just gotten second in Erebor that week before. Um, and so you can get kind of stuck in these middle grounds where, uh, you know, like the USA team, like Nico was saying, like, you don't have to stay with the Federation. They're kind of like there if you need them. I think especially with the riders, like the first World Cup that I went to, not World Champs, but World Cup, you can be on the national team. Uh, I had the jersey on and I stayed at the hotel and like use their mechanic and stuff like that. Uh, and so they're there if you need them. And then you have all, the French team, like Nico was saying, where they literally have like 10 or 15 people out on the track, like timing different sections and on radios. And, you know, you have the Swiss team as well, like staying in super nice hotel and kind of like, um, on that upper echelon, I think of federations. Um, but I think it is strange for a rider because you develop all of these, there's, there's a skill level to the process of a world cup. You show up, you have what you're going to eat. Um, so much of the time you stay in the same places, what practice looks like, like who you hang out with, like the feedback you get. Uh, and so then when you come to world champs and all of that stuff is different, it kind of adds another layer onto it. Uh, especially if it's like, if the support's not up to what you would typically kind of be used to. Yeah. It can go either way, I guess, can't it with that? Yeah. Cool. Well, let's talk about qualifying because it's an, a slightly unusual one at, at World Cups, but it is the only, I think I'm right in saying it's the only timed run, uninterrupted time run that you're going to get in the whole week apart from your race run, other than anything you sort of independently time, but there's always a chance of getting held up or, you know, question the accuracy and all that sort of stuff. How important was it to people earlier with, with different people taking different approaches to it? Um, yeah, no, I think to me qualifying it. So we call it qualifying now. Um, I think in years past, it was kind of just like time practice and everyone that was at world champs made it in. Uh, but now yeah, they don't take everyone into the finals, which I think is a little bit strange. Um, you know, they will be like, 80 men that start, um, or there'll be like 85 men there. And then the qualifying is like top 80 or whatever, you know, it's kind of just like let the five people race. Um, but in terms of like how much speed you have, I would say to me, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, similar to a regular qualifying, but maybe like a touch of like time training. Um, and I thought that that was like interesting with like Antoine Vidal who had this like insane quality run and was kind of right up there with everyone else. And I think he had a pretty good, uh, finals run, um, and didn't take 
that much time off. I think it was one second slower in his finals run than his qualifier. Um, and I think everyone else kind of like picked it, picked it up. So I would say that like you're doing like super fast runs, maybe like a quality run at a world cup. But, uh, once you get to the finals, it's like world champs race run, which is going to be right at the limit. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I heard Laurie Greenland saying that he was, uh, taking his qualifying run to focus on how the bike was working. So he was riding kind of fast, but maybe not a hundred percent focus because he was trying to work out what was going on with the bike and looking for gains there. And it was pretty interesting if he was doing that because he was still very much up there on the timesheets. Hey? Yeah. 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 For, for sure. sure. Like, I think you just have so much time. Like that's the other thing that's different, but Nico, what were you going to say? I was just going to say for the timed run, there's no points on the line. Like a World Cup qualifying, I think guys that are trying to get a good overall position, they need to take that seriously for points. Whereas this, it was purely to test yourself against the clock. Um, the top guys were protected and they took 80, so there was like not really much of a cut there. Um but as a racer, you always want to have the chance to to race against the clock before you do your final run. Like whenever I've had an issue in qualifying or um, a flat or, or something that doesn't allow you to get a full full timed run in and feel what it feels like to ride those sections on a full run, you in your race then you kind of feel like you could have done stuff better. Like every time when you, once you do it, you can pick up a few things that you want to apply to your race run the next day. So I think it's important to get that run in for feeling to make your strategy for your race. But, um, I think this, this weekend you didn't have the guys needing to do it for the points. So it was an interesting one at worlds. It's, it's also fairly early. Like it was Friday morning and then you had a whole day of practice again, Saturday, and then another practice Sunday morning before the race. So it was, probably less than halfway through the weekend that you had this timed qualifying run. And, um, there was a lot to do even after that. Yeah. That, uh, that run from Antoine Vidal, did that raise a few eyebrows around the pits, Nico? Like, especially I think the bottom couple of splits, he was particularly quick on. Were people puzzling over that? Um, I mean, he looked so fast in practice. He was, he was ripping out there. So, I wouldn't say it was super surprising and, and it just being the qualifying as well. It was like, yeah, we'll see if he can back this up. But, um, no, I think people were, uh, not too surprised just because if you're, if you're on track and you're looking at stuff, like somebody looks really fast, it's not, it's not totally out of nowhere. Fair play. And a couple of big crashes that went down in that, uh, that qualifier session, I think, Loic Brunies, which has uh, very much gone viral around the internet, that was a horrible-looking crash, eh, Elliot? Like, he was very lucky to find a patch of dirt and not a rock or a tree on that one. Yeah, I was loving just watching everyone's reaction when they saw the video because you were just like, how, how is he alive? Like, and, uh, you know, then he came back and won one of the splits, and then at the bottom... He almost had another huge crash and he um, yeah, just pulled over to the side <laughs> um, after that. Loris was behind him 
And he's like, no, I don't want to. He's like, no, I don't want to get humiliated. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want Loris to catch me. Uh, yeah, there was, there was definitely that one. And we had Brooks, which was insane. You know, like the <laughs> PD was there and he, he was saying that Brooke got up and he was like, I love crashing. It's like, oh my God. Um, but it was, it was actually really sad to hear Brooke after the race because like, I, I've never heard that much emotion in his voice where, you know, he's gone through like all of these trials and tribulations and especially throughout the week. And then to have a mechanical after all that, it's just like, you're just like, holy cow, like what in the world? Um, just like put so much into it. And, and it's, um, you know, you're kind of like, why, why can't things go right? And just like, yeah, just so such a letdown to have a mechanical at world champs. Um, as soon as it happens, I mean, I've never had one, but as soon as something like that happens, you just get popped out, uh, of like the flow and, just are like super deflated so i definitely feel for him there yeah for sure but again good to see him in one piece and i think there's still uh still some some good results to come from that guy like the pace is uh is clearly there yeah. and then you mentioned again part of the sort of quirky format of worlds we have this saturday practice session and it's a track that that takes a lot out of riders i think there's a lot of fatigue building maybe and um i don't know if this is true or not but i heard that cami Belanche made the decision not to ride the Saturday practice. Do you, do you know if that's right? Yeah, she did. I um, you know, was talking to her and she said that and I was like, yeah, like, you know, you thought about just like rolling down the track um, as a track walk or whatever. And she's like, no, I don't really, I don't really think so. And I think um, you don't really hear riders talking about the fitness or being fresh, I guess, for race runs that much anymore. But this is, I felt like a place where you actually did because it was just, it's almost impossible to push or to be as aggressive as you are at the top of the track at the bottom. Um, so I think for the women, it made an even bigger difference where if you could, you know, just be 10% better um, at the bottom of the track, then you can make up a lot of time. But even for the men, you know, a lot of people were like, yeah, I just did two runs on Saturday or, you know, whatever it is. It shows a, it shows a strong confidence that I think to sit out a whole practice session. And it's quite, it's, it's <laughs> impressive. It bodes well that she feels confident enough to do that. I feel like she's like the most confident rider of, of all time. <laughs> just like she doesn't, um, and rightly, rightly so. Like she doesn't, she doesn't ride not confident in like, I can get away with anything, but confident of like, this is what I need to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ride over my head. Like you don't see her getting wild. And yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Nikkei. We had a uh, miles Rockwell as our team line coach in 2012 when I was on Trek, his wife, Willow Corber was racing cross country for Trek. And he told us that when he won the world championship in 2000 at Sierra Nevada, he opened the window in the morning and it had snowed overnight, just like a dusting. And he looked out the window and was like, that's going to melt in a couple hours. I'm not going out. So he didn't even go out to practice the morning of worlds, just went up for his race run and 
and won it. So <laughs> that's some confidence. That's impressive. I like it. I like that. That is a good little story. <laughs> nice one. So yeah, so there was Saturday practice, uh, plenty more opportunity to get familiar with what was going on. There was a bit of overnight rain on Saturday night, wasn't there? Did it did it make any difference, Nico? Yeah, a little bit for sure. It was uh it was slick in, in places. Like they they had done that work on the track and got some of the topsoil off and got down to kind of like a a base dirt that was had more moisture to it. And, um, and some of the spots from just bikes on track, it had already kind of been a little bit moist and, and somewhat greasy in some spots where it was getting drug over rocks. Um, and then once it rained on top of that, it, it was definitely a little bit slick. And it seemed like it rained more at the bottom of the mountain than the top. Because when we went up for that practice, it was, um, it was like all good on the top section. And then the last third of the track felt actually pretty slippery. Um, but it kind of came around for the race and was was perfect. But I think for for the junior race, it would have been probably pretty slick because they went they they raced even before we got on the track for practice. Yeah, yeah, some definitely uh, some changes there. Did did that impact anything that you did with your bike? Did you make any changes as a result, or did you run what you already had from from Saturday? I didn't change anything. I I felt like it was yeah a little bit greasy, but I I could see that it was going to be good by race time. So I just stuck with what I was doing. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's get uh, let's get stuck into the racing. We'll start with the women's field. And something I didn't I didn't to- I wasn't totally aware of is Emmeline retiring from racing, or is it just her last ever World Champs, Elliot? Uh, Emmeline Siegenthaler. Yeah. Yeah, she is uh, retiring. Oh man, I didn't. I didn't realize. I heard Rob and Tracy saying that that was her last ever World Champs, but I didn't realize it was her last season. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, it's definitely like uh, it's so cool to see. She was um, one of the first people I met on the on the circuit and spent three years on the team with her, um, or I guess two years on the team with her. And uh, yeah, she's just so so good uh Kemi Belanche's girlfriend and um it's really cool to see I feel like she she got 10th place which is like a really good result to go out on it's different now in the women's where you know you used to have these uh maybe like three women who were so much further in front of everyone and now um like qualifying for a women's race is kind of no joke so yeah, it's it's definitely uh she's she's had a great career. Yeah, it's be uh shame not to see her on the start line, but impressive career to date. Let's talk about Valley Hole, Nico. Um another crash. The season's not kind of going the way she wanted to, I guess, but she's shown throughout that the pace is there. It's gonna come eventually. What do you think? Is done lucky or pushing too hard? It looks like she just got kind of a bit unlucky and caught out in that section yeah i mean it's it's something we see a lot with young riders i mean normally we talk about it more with young guys in the elite men field coming out of junior and having like a ton of speed but not figuring out where the limit is and i think it's just the same thing with valley like it's only her second year elite she's super fast and just has these little mistakes because she's she's pushing super hard and trying to figure out the racecraft to it. So I think she should be super proud and confident 
um, in her riding abilities. And just, I think the more experience she gets, she'll kind of figure out those limits and how to manage the race from top to bottom. Yeah. She seemed pretty upbeat in all the post-race stuff that I've seen Elliot. So it, it feels like she's, she's dealing with it. She's accepting it. She's managing it, which I guess is the, the first step to beating that little battle. Right. Yeah. I feel like she's just like, at this point, just like what in the world? Like, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I know that she's been trying, like, I think it's from the outside. It's one of those things that looks like an easy fix. I think a lot of people would say like, ah, like it's just, you know, in her head or whatever. But like this time she, uh, I think I, I did a little analysis on it and just like slightly came unclipped, um, right before one of the rock sections, uh, saved it, but then, you know, couldn't get back on, slipped on a rock. And so was that because she wasn't mentally there or just like an unlucky unclip, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff happens all the time. So I think it's kind of frustrating. I remember that with Luca as well, back in 2018, where he would qualify first and then, you know, he would crash and then he got a flat and then, you know, like there were, it wasn't the same kind of thing every single time. So I think it's like Luca said, I mean, sorry, Nico said that, uh, it just takes time, you know, that's what she needs to do. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, Good to see, um, Marine Cabaru back on form. She seems to be, uh, from what I, again, what I saw, she doesn't seem to think she's quite where she would normally be, but she seemed pretty stoked with taking silver. Yeah. I mean, she won, she won this race by 10 seconds in 19. And, um, we did a little piece, like a little, roulette thing uh and you know she's like yeah i'm like still like really hurt and she uh i don't think had a lot of pressure on herself uh, she knew that she could do well here and if she was fresh i think that she would have this would have been her race to be world champion um but yeah i i saw her after the race and she was like super stoked and uh, definitely to do that while you're still hurt, you know, having that huge crash in the J a couple weeks ago, it's, it's definitely a, it's a good sign. Sure. And Cammy, you know, just doubling down on that consistent season, she seems to just be able to turn up every race, follow a process with that confidence that you talked about and just get result after result after result. And she might not always be on the top step, but she's always there and she's still pretty new to the sport. Hey, Nico, like she's at the the early part of the learning curve, right? She's on the steep part. Yeah, for sure. Um, it seems like she was just getting started a couple of years ago and she's come such a long way. She's like, she was just, uh, so new to the sport and, and just figuring it all out and just wide eyed and excited to be here. And now very quickly, she's like one of the best, and looks super pro and belongs to be at the top. And um, it's cool to see how quickly that's come. I've spoken to her a few times. I remember we were testing with Fox at Portugal and shuttling up in the van together. And she was telling me that she's a personal trainer and does a lot of athletic training and stuff at the gym where she works. And I'm sure she applies that to her own racing and can kind of think about how she can get as fast as she can and be as prepared as she can and can, and has a good 
perspective to be able to do that. So I think that's really important for the women's field. Like if they can be stronger to be able to ride faster and be able to take some of those hits, I think it goes a long way with um, the speed they're riding. So maybe with some of that background of, of what she's doing um, in the gym and, and kind of like her experience and training that she's had to, to understand all that, she's able to be prepared and be able to progress so quick within the sport. And a, a tough weekend, Elliot, for, for Tani Seagrave again, still struggling with this kind of upper back or neck related injury flaring up. Like again, everything I hear doing all, making all the right steps, doing all the rehab, but just every time she tries to up the intensity on a race weekend, it's, it's flaring up and causing issues. So I think she sat out some practice as well. And I mean, fifth is still an awesome result, but not, not one that Tani's going to be happy with. I don't suspect. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, Definitely saw her throughout the weekend. Just it's super painful. Um, and hats off to her. To she's tough. Like dealing with that. Like back injuries are definitely no joke. And um, she was yeah, like you said, doing all the right things for it. And this is one of those tracks. You, like if anything is um, like strength wise, um, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough to like we were saying, push all the way to the bottom and kind of have that aggressiveness. So yeah, I think she's going to be frustrated, especially coming off of Maribor, you know? Yeah. Kind of be a, a rough, uh, a rough season for her, I think, by the looks of it, but hopefully some progress and she gets some, some, some pain-free racing towards the latter end of the season. Another rider that I guess would probably have hoped for a bit more is, Eleonora Farina, you mentioned that the the team set up maybe through the Italian Federation wasn't ideal for her. And did she was there a mistake on track? I think as well. Um, yeah, she made a little mistake, which would have probably put her a little bit higher. Um, but I mean, you know, she was dealing with the the team situation, I think. But uh, I think she had a huge crash in the morning of uh, of finals, and uh, yeah, could like barely walk around the around the pits so yeah she uh she just had like a uh, rough weekend i think being in her home country and getting a good qualifying she's only four seconds back in qualifying and and then uh i know she would have liked a medal here and she's on form for it so yeah that was a a tough pill to swallow like to have such a big crash i think it was kind of the same for for loic um he had that huge crash in uh in qualifying but then morning of practice he said he had a really big one and kind of just couldn't get his head back around you know doing some insane race run yeah I, he was in hospital today i think i just saw something on his instagram earlier so he's got a lot of blood in his leg as a result of that crash i think he was saying it was pretty hard to walk and very limited mobility but hoping to be racing at lenza at the weekend so yeah fair play for putting down sixth on a on a weekend like that, again, it shows what he can do on damage limitation. But um, yeah, another another couple of women I think you know really deserve a mention is uh, is Millie Johnson and Jessica Blewett. Both seem to be working their way up those ranks and putting in consistent results week to week to week. So yeah, fair play, fair play to those two. But uh, uh, let's look at Miriam, right? That that you know four point eight seconds she put into the rest of the field, which is is a huge win in margin. 
on any track. Um, but yeah, she just looked like she was on it from day one. Like every run I've seen from her, any coverage I've seen was aggressive and she was just, she was clearly there for the win all the way. Yeah. I mean, I love that Vadasol has those runs where somebody is just noticeably faster down the track because you totally can be, but it's terrifying and <laughs> really difficult to get to that next level of speed, kind of different lines work. You know, if you, it's like different gears, it reminds me of like on a motorcycle where you could be going fast and there'll be a double here or whatever. If you step it up a little bit, maybe it turns into a triple. You step it up a little bit more and maybe it turns into a whoop section. But each level of speed is like a hump that you have to get over. And Miriam was kind of at that extra gear. Like it was really cool. I, I just, I love that run. It was great. Yeah. Impressive to watch. Eh? It's uh, yeah, it's just, she seemed to be finding another gear for that finals run. It was a, it was a true like world championship run where, where you, you see people really pushing and just finding those extra tents all the way down the track. Eh? Yeah. And, <laughs> They comments uh, all about this huge. What are the champagne things called? Like the like waist high champagne. Oh, like the huge I, bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had one of those, and you know, Bernard and I were laughing because it's like kind of like when you see the uh, somebody wins the Supercross Championship and they have the number one jersey, and so we're like, oh, like Max and and Yannick bought that just in case one of their riders won a world championship. So I, I thought that that was cool. They. Max and Yannick come and saw go to all the races and uh, it's like so cool to see the owners of the spike company out there like so invested and um, just like supporting all the riders you know they have so many teams and I was talking to Yannick like slight tangent but like he was saying that racing for them has made such a huge difference the they do a little opening weekend kind of bike count uh, at Whistler. And he was saying, you know, ever since they started winning the races, it's just been going up and up. So they've just been investing in racing more. And a lot of people I think have, uh, have this idea that racing's kind of on the fringe and stuff like that. And can't, that's not really where you push your advertising dollars, your marketing dollars and things like that. But I've loved the common saw has shown that downhill racing is, is awesome. And they've just, you know, invested more and more into it yeah privateers bike of choice for sure in the uk if you go yeah. to a downhill race yeah definitely sure. yeah well let's uh let's move on to talking about the men's racing and, and anton vidal didn't quite back up that qualifying run but he still had an, an awesome run ended up with a good position he spent a lot of time sat there in the hot seat uh yeah must have been starting to wonder how it was going to pan out for him i guess <laughs> Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, did you see him on track, Nico? Like, did he look like a like typical French precision style or something different? Yeah, he he was doing a bunch of cool lines where he was able to like gap over rocks and be super precise, like you were saying, pretty deep into the track where it was dusty and dust covering the whole. 10 foot wide track and there's jagged rocks everywhere and he's able to pull up and gap into like the perfect pocket and be smooth and like i would watch it and be like yeah i could do that 
if I started right here, but the chances <laughs> of that happening, like coming down the track three minutes in are a little less likely that I'm going to land where I want to and, right. and actually pull it off. But, um, it was cool. Like it, w- when he would do that and, and other riders as well, doing similar things, it would look so easy. Like when they would do it perfectly, they weren't getting getting rattled around they weren't getting put off pushed offline they would do like a little input that was gnarly the consequences when you knew what was around it but when they would execute it it would it would look so smooth and effortless so i think guys who were able to do some stuff like that they could have the confidence that they were cool with jumping into stuff like that and and land where they wanted to and and keep doing it through the track we're like kind of picking it apart and making it easier you know, you jump over a bunch of the bumps and don't hit them, then the track ends up being a lot smoother. And and he had some cool stuff he was doing on the track that looked really good. Yeah, impressive ride. A, a rider that looked great. I mean, always looks great at, at, at this track and looked great throughout the week. But I think got kind of unlucky on the weather is Laurie Greenland. He had a a fairly early start position in the grand scheme of things and, and got caught in that little pocket of rain. We were talking about this before we came on air, Nico. You think that was, was pretty unfortunate timing for him, right? Yeah. I actually went and saw him after the race and was like, dude, I think it would have been different if you would have went at the same time as those top guys. Cause obviously in qualifying, he showed that he was up there and had the speed and he won the world cup here the last time we raced on the track. So I think he was, he was excited and hungry and he also got second at world champs when it was here five years ago, his first year elite. So I think he was really looking forward to it and he was picking it apart in practice and he was looking really good and guys like him that are small, I think the track suits well because they're light when they hit those big compressions, there's not as much force going through it and they can kind of change directions quick and be light on their feet through a lot of the stuff. So I think it suited him super well. And, um, yeah, I would. So even though we had a qualifying, we still go in our world ranking order from, uh, the highest to lowest. So, um, I just started raining. I was number plate 38. And when I started, when I took off, it had been raining for like five minutes. And then I think he was 22. So there was a couple guys missing in between, but, uh, probably been raining for another 15 minutes. And I think it just was about to stop after he went. So you kind of got the worst of it. And he hit one of those natural berms that they had built up underneath the ski lift. And those were kind of moist all weekend anyway. Like even in the dry, they were, they felt just a little bit greasy and he just leaned into it and washed out. So it was definitely a bummer for him. It would have been cool to see what he could do with a uh, equal condition to everyone else. And, and also like when it, I noticed it in my run, like when you take out, when you take off out of the start gate, even though, it's not really that much different that it had been lightly raining for a couple of minutes. When, when that's happening, it kind of takes a little bit of your confidence away that you're going to push into stuff as hard as you can. Um, just being unsure how slippery it is. So I don't know if that affected him, but it definitely, like I talked to Dean Lucas, he said that definitely bothered him a little bit and he went right before Laurie and, um, yeah, it definitely did. I, I noticed it. It wasn't completely out of my mind. I'd say I rode as well as I could have, even though it was raining, but it's something that, um, yeah, can just break your focus and break your confidence that little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a shame to see another rider who was on a on a fast run and uh, and had a fair crash. An ex teammate of yours, Nico Angel Suarez, again looks like he's he's on form this season, but but hasn't quite had that run that he's it looks like he's capable of. Yeah, he was flying. There was like a a spot there with the guys that were like ranked twenty to ten where they had the speed of the the top dudes that were on the podium and it's world champs. Like it was exciting to see a lot of those guys apply what everyone says. You know, it's it's worlds, you put it all in, like you don't have to worry about points or consistency at this race. You want to lay down the fastest run you can and take a little bit more risk. And if something's faster, but you you it's gonna be a less percentage that you're gonna make it, you're gonna take it because you, you can't give up any time at Worlds. And to see guys like Angel really live that out and put their best run down and take every risk was super cool. And there was a minute there where he and then Dakota, I think Dakota was before him, but um, they were both like up by three, four seconds at splits. And nobody before them had really laid down that kind of time deep into the track. So it was really exciting to see the way they were pushing it. And I think Angel and Dakota kind of had a similar ride where they went all in, they were up big and would have been very close to the podium if they um, hadn't had a mistake. But um, when you're pushing that hard, you just kind of, you're in the position to have stuff like that happen. I talked to Dakota. He said he ran wide off that little drop, which when you're riding is so scary to come off that thing at the end. It's like a fading left turn, loose powdery dirt off of a probably 12 foot wall. And you're three and a half minutes or three minutes into the run. And it's a huge compression and it was getting blown out and they'd done stuff to improve it this year to make it more, I guess, sustainable through the weekend. But guys were like kept fading further and further. Right. And there was a route that came out and, Dakota kind of just faded into that. And I think that's what caught him out. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're pushing hard and you're deep into a run like that, like you're going to run a little bit wider your line. And, and unfortunately, Valdisol, like there's stuff that's going to bite you if you, if you do have that happen. Yeah. 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 Fair play. And a few other riders who didn't quite go their way, but one of them was Amory Piron, who I think blew his back wheel up at some point on the track, but Elliot, super cool to see him back. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty nasty injury that he suffered. And I don't, I don't really know how fast he was going, but it kind of, everything I've seen, it looks like he was, he was pretty much back on Amory pace, which is pretty crazy because he'd not been on a bike for more than a few days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of days, like in the last, what is it? Eight weeks or something like that. Um, so yeah, happy to see him back and. I was uh, I was also kind of happy to see him chill a bit in qualifying. I uh, I thought that that was kind of him. Again, we kind of think of Amari and Tebow as being, or I guess the narrative around them as being like, ah, they're just super wild and things like that. But I think they're actually as well like very precise and calculated. So you know when you see Tebow taking these lines or you know Amari kind of like finding his pace similar to what Thibaut did in qualifying in Leger, uh, you know, come out and qualifying and kind of chill a little bit and then finals ramp it back up. But he seemed in really good spirits uh, throughout the week and definitely was, was happy to be back at the races. Yeah. Good to see. 
And then Reese Wilson, uh, the defending champion, openly admitted that he'd been struggling the last few weeks and, and hadn't really felt that he was quite where he wanted to be pace-wise, but definitely found that pace for his finals run. It was a, a very exciting run to watch, certainly for me from home, um, and was was on pace, I would have said, until a huge launch off that ski drop into the, into the well, penultimate corner where uh, I don't know if it was on the landing or the energy that he carried into that turn, but blew the, the front tire right off the rim. So pretty unfortunate, but yeah, an incredible run to watch. eh? Yeah. I, uh, when I was commentating it, I was like, how did that happen? Like it must've been, you know, from the landing or whatever, but I saw on his Instagram that it was just like an unlucky tire just blew off right in the middle of, of the turn. Um, you know, maybe it was a little loose from the landing or something like that, but that's one of those things where, yeah, I don't know, there's nothing really you can do about it. Uh, and Reese is one of those guys, it seems like he always rises to the occasion, whether he's nervous or something like that, I kind of talk to him. And I was like, you think you feel more pressure because you're world champ and you have to defend your title? And he was uh, like, no, I think it's like kind of less because I've done it. And he, like everyone's kind of chasing me and I just have to go and do what I need to do. So he is uh, definitely, to me, those the top guys are really separated by the mindset that they have and feels like he kind of has that now. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the the top five then. So fifth place, Danny Hart. Nico, I think, I think Danny had a pretty rough week. He he seems to be getting quite a lot of flats, which must have eaten into his practice time, I guess. Is it is that going to make life harder to get up to speed? Yeah, I would think so. I think it also takes a little bit of your confidence in your equipment away. If you like I saw him rolling down multiple times with a flat tire. And on that track, you want to be able to push in stuff as hard as you can. You don't want to be questioning whether you have to be light through this section or avoid something. And when you can be confident in your bike, that you just run into whatever you want, put it wherever you want, jump into it and, and be fully committed. Then you don't really question stuff. You don't worry about it. But when you start having issues where the bike's not holding up, then you start to maybe think if you should be careful, do something else. So I don't know if that affected him at all. Um, I think he put down a really good run and watching it from the finish, like, I think he rode the way he wanted to. Um, so he did a great job to come back from it, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. The fourth place, Loris Vergier, still the man of the moment, the one everyone expects to be killing it this season. And, you know, when it goes well, it, he is. He looked incredible on the bike through the whole run, to be fair. Like, he was taking big chunks out of the field at the top, but... It, that that just seemed to to ebb away, and I don't. I think you guys in commentary sort of struggled to to work out where that time was going because he didn't look slow. But from what I've heard of him talking afterwards, he mentions you know just kind of fatigue really becoming more and more a part of it, and and having to sort of back the pace down a little bit towards the bottom. But he seemed pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, he was first in the second split, and. Um... I think to me it was, you know, I think everyone was tired. It just, it just felt like, uh, the guys who beat him just were 
super fast at the bottom. Um, there is some stuff down there that uh, I, I think the track kind of gets slowly steeper as you go along. Like it starts off starts off steep, but it the bottom um, gets steeper and steeper, and you're the most tired. Uh, and like I was saying, as soon as you kind of fall out of that rhythm, you, uh, you start to miss a lot of the, those jumps and things like that. So if you're at a slightly slower pace or, uh, slightly off your line, you're not going to be able to hit those jumps and things like that that Nico was talking about and, and just kind of tires you out even more. I felt like Hulange and, and Greg and, 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 um, Troy just at the bottom were just unreal. So it felt like less of Laura's mistake and more everyone else was riding really, really well. Yeah, fair comment. So third place, bronze medal, Troy Brosnan. Man, this guy is always close, isn't he? Point four. It's got to be getting pretty frustrating for him, but I guess he's his pace maybe hasn't quite been where everyone would expect this season. So in a way, there's a silver lining that he's he's definitely up there and challenging for the top spots. He's he's found that 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 switch. But point four, it's got to hurt, hey Nico. Yeah, I mean, thinking back on the race, it's easy to kind of forget that Troy was that close. He rode almost an identical run to the guys who are winning. Point four is nothing, um, and it's something you should be super proud of. But you get so close to uh, achieving what would have been a totally different result. Um, it's got to be a bummer for him. And he's been third so many times in, in World Cup overall or world champs. And it seems like it's always different people that are in front of him as well, which must be another thing that's a little bit frustrating. But I mean, yeah, you got to be stoked to be able to be that consistent, like to be able to have so many podiums at world champs and world cup and world cup overall like it's a it's a great thing for sure to be somebody who can always deliver and be there but i guess um for him personally like what motivates him is the idea of winning and if he's just short of that every time it's gotta eat away at you a little bit so hopefully we see troy able to win a couple more races here coming up definitely elliot i uh i was thinking about this in the pre-show as well like I don't know why, but it feels like Troy falls out of favor so quickly um, where it's kind of like, okay, he was riding super well beginning of the season, like won the race right up there. And then Leger, like everyone had a bad race. And then Maribor, um, he wasn't there. And now, and now we're like, where is he at? You know what I mean? Like, um, and then now he's like back in third. So it's like, it feels, it feels to me like that speed is still there from the beginning of the season that we were talking about. Um, but yeah, for some reason, like, I mean, and I, and, and me and Rob, I feel like did the same. Like we talked so much about Greg when he won, rightfully so. But then we were talking about Coulange and how great that was. And then, he was kind of like, right, right. We need to talk about Troy. And, uh, he just, he's always there. And I, I do feel like he still has that speed that we we're talking about in the beginning of the season and still that mindset as well. Like he's mentally strong. Um, and that one race in, in Maribor, I don't think is gonna kind of kick him off like that confidence that he was at, that he had in, in Leo game. Yeah. I think that it's just that 
the expectation is so high of Troy. Like we we're so used to seeing him in those top three spots. Yeah. Even when he drops down to fifth, you're like, what's wrong with Troy? Which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. But it is, it does appear to be like that. And yeah, very, very yeah, it's a mark of how good he really is, I think. Yeah, that totally. People worry about him when he slides down to fifth, which is yeah, yeah it's mad. And, and let's I, talk go on. Well, I was just gonna say like um Cammy kind of reminds me of a of like a new Troy as well, you know, where she hasn't been around and as consistent, but they they feel they feel similar to where like if Cammy got like a six, you would be like, eh, like what's up with her or whatever. And they're just so precise, maybe not winning all the time, but like right there. Yeah. Constant threat for sure. And the, a threat that's been bubbling away and, and just gradually eating away at it and climbing up the ranks is Benoit Coulange. I mean, that was an incredible run, eh, Nico? Yeah, for sure. And that dude looked so fast in practice. His bike sounded quiet when he came past and he was just not stopping to look at anything. He was just carrying speed and and ripping. And um, yeah, he's been on the podium, I guess. The, he was podium Maribor and podium the first race. So he's super consistent this year. And uh, yeah, I think it makes sense. He's like building in the right direction. And he's just a dude that's like so dedicated to racing and doing whatever it takes to do the best he can in the race. And he's not concerned with like really much around it, like being friends with other people or talking with other riders or posting stuff on social media or looking cool or any of that. Like he's just all about whatever is going to make him race the fastest. He's dedicated to doing that. I I rode the lift with him in um, Maribor and he was telling me that in the summer he rents an apartment in Morzine so he can just do training as much as he wants and have everything he needs and um, that's pretty cool that somebody would like move away from their home to be in a place that's better situated for their training. And I think it just shows his level of dedication. Yeah. One to watch Elliot. Yeah. I mean, echoing everything that Nico said, like I can't hype up Benoit Coulange enough. I, he's, he's like so, so nice. He's been around forever. Um, and I was kind of, I was, pushing Red Bull, I was like, we need to do, or you guys, we need to do like some kind of feature on him um, because he just slides under the radar. Like I think French, the French scene, there's so many of them um, and they're starting to get, you know, more recognition. Uh, but we do have these like French superstars now and yeah, he's, he's just been around for so long and I don't think has gotten kind of the respect that, you know, somebody else might in that, in that situation where you get, like Nico said, you get two podiums, a third at world champs. And like, he is just so good. It's, he's just so strong, like bottom of Maribor, bottom of, um, bottom of Valsol, like winning the splits, winning the sectors. So it's pretty incredible and really proud to kind of see him progress throughout, throughout that career. Cause yeah, he's, I remember maybe seeing him, you know, 14, 15 uh, on the belt drive bike, you know, so it's cool. Yeah, well-deserved and, and awesome to see, and I'm sure a lot more to come from him. All right, let's talk about Greg Minar. Um, this man has done a lot already in his career, and, and a lot of uh, those world's medals were were written on his bike for this weekend. 
Um, and what I didn't realize until afterwards is that he obviously had some level of confidence in his ability because he had access to a gold Sharpie and he'd made sure that his girlfriend bought that gold Sharpie to the, uh, the to the, the finish arena so that if he got the gold medal, he could write that straight onto his bike, which he did. I mean, that just shows... He, he, this guy's not there messing about, is he? He's he's still very much believing in himself, betting on himself, and knowing that if he puts it together, he can go out there and win against you know people twenty years younger. Yeah, it's awesome. I was um, I was thinking that this course you could have argued suited everything the opposite of Greg. Like it's a course that a guy who's light like a small one, small guy like Loris or Laurie um, may suit their body type better. A guy riding a short bike could fit through some of those tight, steep sections a little bit better. Um, a young rider who's reckless and willing to send it would suit their style pretty well. And Greg just delivered on everything that Greg's good at perfectly. Um and, and made it work on a on maybe a track that you would not have picked as a Greg track. Um, I don't know why. Like he's won on all sorts of tracks throughout his career. Never vowed to soul before, and he just rise to the occasion and and made it happen. And when I was watching from the finish, there were some guys that you thought like this guy's either going to crash or he's going to get a great result. And Greg, there was like never a question of like whether Greg was going to crash or not. Like he, you know, he's going to put in his best run. It was just whether that best run is going to be on the right or wrong side of the winning second. And it was awesome to see like him pick it apart in that bottom steep, but like the section that I described is exactly the opposite of where his strengths would do well. Like it's steep, it's tight, it's like a guy on a full 29er, the biggest bike probably out there on the track, the tallest guy out there, and he is able to make time and put himself into the winning position on that section of the trail. It's just like so goes to show you that it's it's so much more in the mindset of the rider and and how they believe in themselves and their desire to win than any of those other factors that are contributing to it. So Man, just so awesome to see Greg win, and um, I'm stoked to have a guy like that in our sport that's an inspiration to us all. Yeah, yeah, he certainly doesn't mess about, and and he was still puzzling down to the line, I think. like He said uh, that he felt after the rain on Saturday practice, that in the morning on Sunday, he was like the bike was just a bit too fast under him, like it was kind of throwing him offline a little bit. And so I think they they changed the, I believe, low speed rebound by one click front and rear just to try and settle the bike before his race run. So he's never done puzzling, is he, Elliot? No, no. I mean, it's like a, I think at this point, it's um, it's kind of a ritual to kind of, even though he was feeling insane on, uh, what was that, I guess, Thursday practice, he still is puzzling until finals day and then kind of nails it and uh gets it perfect but yeah like i was saying at the top of the show just so happy that a big party in santa cruz pits and everyone was there everyone kind of came to pay their respects and i was i was actually loving it when uh 
when Loic came across and saw Greg in the hot seat and was just like, they they hate getting beat by each other, especially Loic. Like Loic hates getting beat by Greg, but um, they have such a great rivalry and so much respect for each other. And uh, I I just love that. I was you know talking to Greg um, at night and. Um, I was like, man, you're a world champ. He's like, I'm world champ. I can't believe it. So it's so cool. I mean, it's, I love when you get those stories in sports where you just have this amazing athlete, uh, put one down like that, like only they can. So. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it when, uh, Bruni crossed the line and worked out what was going on. That, that little point that he gave Greg, <laughs> you could just, you, you could read the expression like yeah. from the other side of the planet. It was, yeah, it was incredible to see. I mean, yeah. What else is there to say? I mean, I think uh, Loic summed it up. He said, we all suck. We got beaten by the old guy, but <laughs> I mean, experience just went to play, didn't it? This weekend, I think, I mean, Miriam's one of the older women in the women's field been racing a long time. Greg's, definitely been racing a long while now like the experience to cope with a really gnarly track the pressure of worlds it 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 seems like it it pays off i guess i definitely think so i mean and it shows like how much of a mental game that downhill is that i mean it is so incredibly physical but at the same time uh yeah like nico was saying to to pull back time especially like that very bottom split right like where yeah that's that's like just the mental game just awesome you mentioned you mentioned precision but pete was saying that greg wasn't on a lot of the lines that they'd practiced like and i think greg himself has said that he was he made a lot of mistakes in that run and and got out offline he was collapsing into the bike towards the bottom and was worried whether he'd even be able to hold himself up off the ski jump like I mean, how, as a rider, how do you deal with that in a race run, Nico, when you're, you're not hitting your marks, you're not kind of going where you want, but how do you, how do you process that and continue at that pace? I mean, there's not many people on the planet that could do that, right? Yeah. I I would love to know how to do that actually, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I think you just need to um, put it behind you, like keep moving forward and, a lot of times, like if you can make a recovery and, and stay off the brakes and keep the bike driving forward, you can get through something without really losing that much time. And I think when you, when your instinct is to break and slow down and recover, then that's going to cost you uh, momentum and a compounding mistake. But if your instinct is to just try to get your body into the right form and point the bike in the way you want to go and don't slow down to, to regroup, um, that's that's how Greg does it, and and uh, that's that's what it takes to win. Yeah, amazing stuff. Very well deserved. Before we move on, there's there's one more rider that was a kind of a little bit under the radar, I guess, that I feel deserves a mention with an incredible 14th place, uh, and that's Duto Pene. Apologies if if I'm not pronouncing that right. Elliot, have you seen this this guy out riding much? Have you had the chance to have a chat with him? Yeah. Um... Yeah, he's awesome. Toto is like from New Zealand. He kind of burst onto the scene uh, during Crankworks a couple of years ago in Rotorua and won the pump track. And I uh, didn't know that he was racing downhill 
really until this is kind of his first, this is his first full season racing, racing downhill world cups and he's on the union team. And so it's like this Santa Cruz backed, like kind of reminds me of a Vanzac's kind of style. If you were to professionalize the Vanzac's where they're based in Morzine bike, I think it's bike Morzine is like put them up for the, for the summer there. And Jobo, like Steel City Media, it's like put a bunch of uh, support in and um, kind of, you know, you could kind of call him the team manager. So I, I think it's, I think it's so cool. And um, Ben, I think Ben Zoar is kind of the team manager, like booking the races and accommodation and also racing. So he's like, did well. His brother Ollie did well. That whole team is kind of just like this reminds me of, um, what we used to see a lot like back in the back in the day uh and what like a group of privateers could do with support but Tohoto is like crazy super talented i think he was six of the first split and um we'll definitely see and you know comes from like maori background like one of his first first people to kind of travel and his family and it's a really really cool story so big ups to him and i think i think we'll see him just kind of continue to get better nice one yeah another one to watch so let's let's talk a little bit about what comes next i mean there's a lot of media attention to people that have won um they get pulled into a lot of different directions it can often take focus away also a massive hangover is maybe not the best way to start a world cup week but you never know um so in the women's side of things miriam's tied with cami in the overall i think but um I guess sort of on the track, Miriam has the momentum, but do you think those media commitments and everything that goes with being World Cup could actually have an impact on the overall? Um, it's tough to say. I think uh, in a downhill race, you have enough time spread throughout the week that I, would, I wouldn't think that it would. Um, this week's pretty tight turnaround. Like being in the pits today, it's like, man, we're already starting the World Cup again. Um, it's only two days later, but, uh, I think, I think they should be able to handle it well. I think, um, they probably will be able to have everything they need to race and kind of regroup and, and hopefully take the momentum of the positive result as like some good confidence injected and, and ready to carry that into the last couple of races of the season. Yeah. And then in the in the men's side of things, obviously the momentum for the season's really been with Tebow so far. He's got a fair lead in the overall, but a couple of crashes in his run, you know, shift of momentum towards Greg, Troy definitely on pace. Do you think that could influence the overall in the men's side of things, Elliot? Do you think do you think we could see Greg take that as well? I mean, that's kind of been the narrative uh through the season is almost to me like Greg versus Tebow. Um, you can kind of see it start to shape up. You know, there's, there's definitely people, other people there, but, um, yeah, Greg's won here before and he's coming in with a lot of momentum. So if Tebow, there is this temptation, I think, to start to think about the overall a lot and Tebow doesn't seem like that kind of person to me. Every time I talk to him, he's just like, I'm young, I'm going to go for it. You know, he seems, he seems really, really 
strong in that respect of, of just taking every race as it comes and doing his best no matter what, not really kind of thinking about like, should I play it safe here? So it is definitely Tebow's to lose, but I, I think we've kind of seen this before where anything can happen. It can come down to the last race. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting rest of the season. I mean, it was a hell of a world. I definitely enjoyed it a lot. I hope you guys uh, had fun, Elliot. It certainly sounded like you did. And Nico, I think uh, you were, were happy to get back on a bike and feel like your body's coming back to, to s- some semblance of normality ahead of the rest of the season. Before we sign off, though, we've got a, got a check-in with Elliot on Lit Kit. Feels like Nico was uh, was definitely up in the running in that that white uh, white red and blue fox kit this week. Yeah, there was like there was some really really cool kits. I feel like I uh, I definitely have to give it to to Dean Lucas. He he was walking down the beach and saw this Aboriginal artist. Thought the painting looked cool. Um, the guy said it was already sold. Um, and he was like, oh, just come back, come back later and I'll paint you another one. And so later that night, he, he goes and gets it painted. And, and Dean went to Scott and uh, said, like, can we get this painting put on on the bike? And then he got it on his kit, too. So it's this really cool, like, uh, original, like, art that's head to toe, matches with the bike. Um, I just thought that that was, like, so cool. I think that at Worlds, there are things that are flashy. And then there are things also that like have a lot of meaning to them and a lot of like uh, meaning to the riders and, and for the country too. So I thought that that was really, really cool. Yeah. Nice touch. And as someone who's got a bit of OCD, I find worlds quite challenging because the national jerseys often look really bad with the trousers, with the pants. So big shout out to Dorval because they got all of their riders in different nationalities and they matched the national jerseys into their race pants immaculately. <laughs> so thank you, Dorval, for making a twitchy OCD fan feel a lot better about it for a few of the runs over the weekend. <laughs> they did a solid job. Cool. Well, it's been, yeah, as always, super interesting picking your brains and finding out more about it. Hope you both have a, an awesome week in Lenzerheide and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to chatting after that. Elliot, are you in commentary this weekend or is it back to Claudio? It's back to Claudio. I'll be doing the Red Bull uh, YouTube stuff and I think I'll do like a track guide, uh, like little analysis piece on the, on the live that'll go like early in the live pre-show. So Excellent. Good stuff. And Nico, feeling, feeling back on form and ready to go for it? Yeah, definitely. I feel better every day. So I think these, uh, this track and then the two World Cups at Snowshoe will suit me pretty well. So looking forward to ending the season on a positive note. Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll catch up with you in, uh, in a week's time. Nice one. Cheers. Thanks. See ya. All right. That's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. Downtime listeners get 15% off We Are One rims for the month of August using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over at weareonecomposites.com. While you're there, you can also check out their incredible new bike, The Arrival. 
If you want to get your hands on one of the limited edition first issues of Downtime EP at special early bird pricing, then head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and your email address in the next couple of days. We're really close to going to print and we're going to be sending early bird deals to everyone who's registered very soon. So if you want in, then it's time to get involved. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, then you can get your hands on some of our merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the podcast. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, then there's a couple of ways you can help out. Tell your mates about the podcast, because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word and get a bit of buzz going around the episodes. And then if you've got a bit of spare time, a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way too. All right, we're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 